So I'm talking about the life of Moses, but this was a monumental part. And I want us to turn in our Bibles to Exodus 14, because that's where it's found. And we are going to read starting in verse 5 right now. We'll read a little bit more later. Exodus 14, verse 5. And it was told the king of Egypt that the people fled. And the heart of Pharaoh and of his servants was turned against the people. And they said, Why have we done this? What that we have let Israel go from serving us? And he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. And he took six hundred chosen chariots and all the chariots of Egypt and captains on every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh. We've talked about that in, in weeks past, king of Egypt. And he pursued after the children of Israel. And the children of Israel were out, went out with a high hand. But the Egyptians pursued after them all the horses and the chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen and his army and overtook them encamping by the sea beside uh, Pihahiroth before Baal-Zephon. And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians marched after them and they were sore afraid and the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. And they said unto Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this the word that we, we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. All right, we're going to stop right there. And so uh, we, we talked about God and how, how Pharaoh's heart was hardened. The Lord does take responsibility for it. But we talked early on that before it says, before it's recorded in the Bible that the Lord would harden Pharaoh's heart, that the Bible records that I know that He will not let you go. He surely will not let you go. He was an idolater. He was prideful. He was arrogant. And so we saw through the way his heart was hardened was through his rejection of the revelation of God to his life. That was very merciful when you think about it. Starting with frogs and flies and turning the water to blood and so forth. And little serpent eating up another serpent and things like that that were done in his presence saying this is God. And it was very merciful of the Lord to, to try to reach this man in this way. And remember the whole, sometimes it's good to zoom in on something and look. Sometimes it's good to zoom out. All right? And I want us to zoom out for just a second. And the whole big picture was that the Lord said, I'm going to be glorified in Egypt. I'm going to be magnified against Pharaoh as he hardens his heart and sets himself up against me. It's not just you, Moses. It's me. It's he's hardening himself and defying the living God. And I'm going to show him and all of his, quote, greatness and power and the power and the might of Egypt and the wealth of Egypt and all the worship and adoration that he had from the people of Egypt, that he's just a man. And I'm going to show him that I'm God. And it was several steps and they would increase in intensity. OK, and finally, we know the last plague on the night of the Passover that his son died, this death angel passed through Egypt and the firstborn of everyone from the servant's house to the Pharaoh's house died. And that's when he let him go. But he didn't let him go in the sense of a repentance like 
like I've come to understand my sin and my iniquity, that God is God and I'm repenting and, and I want to obey the Lord. He just said, go, get, you know, get out of here. And the people loaded him down with, with stuff. And so now the true condition of his heart is revealed because honestly, over some period of times during that 430 year span that Israel was in Egypt, they had become slaves and they had become the workforce for this big machine of Egypt. You know, cranking out everything. And he's thinking, what have we done? We, we let our free labor force go. And all the big projects and the big buildings and whatever uh, labor that they provided. And he says his heart was hardened and he made ready his chariots and, his, and he went after them. Okay? And so... Uh, it, it just happened, and, and instantly you're going to notice two things. Because remember, we're studying the life of Moses, not just the history of Israel. Uh, the two are definitely overlapping. But what what happens with the people? What's the people's attitude? Because remember, we talked two weeks ago because I was, we were out last week. But they were led to this peninsula. Remember, what's leading them? This pillar of God by day, this cloud by day, and fire by night. And so they're being led through the wilderness. That cloud would not leave them for the next 40 years. That cloud or that fire would be with them until they crossed the Jordan River in Joshua's day and inherited the promised land. Okay? Or began to, to walk into it. He says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And he was their guide. And he guided them to the what looks like a trap. We, we talked about nobody in their reasonable mind Daniel Boone had been leading the group, okay? He would not have led them there. Uh, Lewis and Clark wouldn't have led them there because they would say, oh, we know this area and there's a better way to pass around over here. They knew where they were going. This was not the best way. He, lead, he leads them into a, a place where they're trapped. They couldn't go left, right, forward was the Red Sea and behind them, here comes Pharaoh's armies. So they're on like this peninsula. And... They're not happy about it. But what is the response of the people? Instantly, they turn on God and they turn on Moses. That is going to be repeated all through the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. Okay? They turn on God and they turn to Moses. We, we read their complaints. It would have been better for us to die in Egypt. Isn't this what we told you, Moses? Just leave us alone and let us serve the Egyptians. That'd be like someone bound up in sin. Okay, you name the sin or all sins or whatever you want to pick, bound up in sin and just leave me alone. I would rather just stay in my sin. Well, don't you know that, that you're going to be accountable to God? Don't you know you're going to stand before Him as judge one day? Don't you know that your life is contrary to this holy God that He's made a way for you to be saved? You can give your life to Him. Just leave me alone. You know what I mean? Just leave me alone. Uh, uh, it's better for me just to stay in my sin. Even if they're totally miserable. There are some people that way that just would rather stay in their misery. And this is how the children of Israel were. So they complained and they murmured. This would be a constant. Can I tell you, we read it in the Word of God. I didn't look up the Scripture, but God hates it. He hates it. Okay? There, he, all sin is sin. But there are things in the Word of God that are highlighted. Like in uh, Proverbs where it talks about these seven things God hates. You know, uh, a tongue, a tongue that spreads evil and gossip and so forth. Uh, he talks about this. He hates the murmuring and complaining because it's, he's such a good God. 
Psalm 119, God is, thou art good and doest good. He's just good. He's a good God to the worst person and to the worst of people and to all sinners. He's good. And so to complain and murmur against the Lord is, uh, is really like this rebellion. It's like this defiance and this, this arrogance. And he hates it. And have I done it before? More times than I care to admit. Murmured and complained. And I'll say, God, forgive me. I, when I think about that, what I deserve, not just the theology that I figured it out, the wages of sin is death, but when we think about what we deserve, we deserve hell. Okay? The best first person on the planet deserves hell. That's what we have earned. But we're saved by His grace. He's kind to us. He's kind to sinners. And He's merciful to sinners. And guess what? He's merciful to believers that grumble and complain and sin against them after they're saved. And get lifted up and get distracted and forget about God sometimes and leave Him on the back burner. And, and uh, then we come back to Him. He's merciful. Okay? Uh, and so, but that was a totally different reaction than Moses. Moses instantly turns to the Lord. We see this over and over. This became a pattern. It, it was part of this character that we talked about weeks ago in, in Moses' life that we were got, we begin to we get a, a close up and personal look of Moses' growth, of God working in him to break him down and then to build him back up in Christ. And he did not instantly complain. He did not instantly murmur. His first reaction was to turn to the Lord. To turn to the Lord. And that became his pattern. So let's just read this in verse 13. And we'll kind of read the story and, and uh, go back and talk about it. Verse 13 of, of Exodus 14. And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will show you to you this day. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you shall see them again no more forever. That's an amazing statement. You know, there are eyes of faith that were able to see these things. That was faith speaking right there. There was nothing else. That wasn't his own humanity. That wasn't his own natural fear. That wasn't any pride on his part that I just know we can do this. It was faith speaking. And... And that's what he said, that God's going to do it. We're going to be saved. And these Egyptians, we're not going to see them anymore. Not just today. They're not going to turn around and come back again in a week and with more troops. You're not going to see them anymore forever. The Lord shall fight for you and ye shall hold your peace. And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore Christ thou unto me, speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. And so we'll just stop there for a minute. And so what do we see in Moses? We see faith. We started our series in Hebrews. We'll go back to it. Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Moses kept the Passover. By faith, Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea, which the Egyptians are saying to do were drowned. Okay? This is what we're looking at. Not just a story. It really happened. And we're reading about when it actually happened. So Moses turns to God. And he turns to Him by faith. And this is the characteristic of the trait, uh, a trait of a man or woman of God. 
We become this. We're not born that way. We become that as we walk with the Lord. As we go through trials and adversities in life. And you know what I'm saying? Good days and bad days. And what seems like unanswered prayers. And all kinds of things we go through. Scary things that all of a sudden pop up in your face. That you didn't expect in your day and in your life. And we hang on to the Lord. And he begins to, He's doing a work in us. He's doing a work in us. And Moses turned to the Lord. And David, we see, you could pick a man of God and you'd see a similar trait or a woman of God. David said, what time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. Now compare that to the children of Israel. What time they were afraid, they complained against God. Don't forget that this is the same group of people, all of them, besides Joshua, Caleb, and Moses, and the little kids that grew up in the wilderness, every one of those adults that came out of Egypt died in the wilderness. Every single one of them. And they died how? In sin, yes. They died, the Bible says specifically, in unbelief. In unbelief. Moses died on the top of this mountain and was buried by God, the Bible says. The Lord took him in His hands and put him where He wanted him to be. But he died in faith. A whole lot of difference. Both died. But one dies in faith and one in unbelief. And so we see, I want to live by faith and I don't want to live in unbelief. I want to live that way. I don't want to live with my tail tucked between my legs. I don't want to live scared of my own shadow. I don't want to live scared of what's going to come on Fox News when I turn it on tonight when we get home. I don't want to live uh, complaining and murmuring against the good God. I want to know His goodness. I want to experience His goodness. In the bad times, I want to experience a good God. And this is where Moses was. We know a notable sin where he smoked the rock twice and so forth. And God dealt with him about it, but he was still God's man. Okay? And he didn't certainly didn't die or live in unbelief. So when David says, what time I'm afraid I will trust in thee, he doesn't say if I ever get afraid. He knew he was going to be afraid. It's not wrong to be afraid. There are scary things that happen in our life, but what do you do? We don't have to live in fear. You know what I'm saying? We can instantly go to God with it. You don't have to have people with you. It's wonderful if you're in church when the news hits you and you can pray with your, your fellow believers in Christ. But you can hit your knees and have an audience with the Lord anytime through the blood of Jesus. This is what Moses uh, learned to do and began to do. So, uh, I want to keep reading a, a good bit more. And then we'll finish what we're going to read tonight. Let, we're, I think we left off in verse 16. But lift thou up thy rod and stretch out thine hand over the sea and divide it. As far as we know, that never had happened before. Okay? And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground, not even muddy ground, okay? Through the midst of the sea. And I, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them. And I will get me honor upon Pharaoh, and upon all his hosts, and upon his chariots, and upon his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. That was the purpose and intent of God in the whole thing. We know for a fact that the Bible says He's not willing that any perish, but all come to repentance. We know that because the Bible teaches that. He also says, who will have all men to be saved? Uh, we know that He says He has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. It's not like, oh goody, I get to kill people created in my own image. That I know the very hairs of their head. And they'll burn in hell forever. Oh good. 
It's not like that. He's a just judge and he will judge. But he has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. But he does desire to be glorified in the earth. Give him glory. Give him glory through your life as a child of God and redeemed. These people did not and they hardened their hearts more and more. And the Egyptians shall know that I'm the Lord when I have gotten me honor upon Pharaoh and upon his chariots. Okay, in verse 19, the angel of God which went before the camp of Israel removed and went behind them. And so they have been led by this pillar. It's described here as the angel of the Lord. I think it's very personal. I don't think it's just some force. I think it was God's presence, okay? And it moves from in front of them leading them to a shelter behind them to keep the Egyptians from getting to them. Okay? And the pillar uh, and the pillar of the cloud went before them, their face and stood behind them. And it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. And it was a cloud and darkness to them, but it gave light by night to these, so that the one came not near the other all the night. And so the only thing that separated the two this mighty army of metal chariots and horses and captains on every one of them, it said, and the fury coming out of them to kill them or to bring them back uh, was the Lord. Only thing standing between them and this basically helpless group of people that had literally just come out of slavery was the Lord. And it's interesting how to the Egyptians it was darkness all night. And to the to the uh, Hebrews, it was light and gave them light, which is comfort. It gives comfort in, in, in just knowing that the Lord's presence was there. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea dry land and the waters were divided. And the children of Israel went to the midst of the sea upon the dry ground and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. And the Egyptians pursued and went in after them to the midst of the sea, even all Pharaoh's horses, horses, his chariots and his horsemen. And it came to pass that in the morning, watch, the Lord looked unto the host of the Egyptians through the pillar of the fire. So the Lord was in that fire and of the cloud and troubled the host of the Egyptians and took off their chariots. So he, he, he caused some kind of confusion. It was physical too. Their chariots come off, wheels come off their chariots. Alright? This is not how it's supposed to be. We're soldiers. We got our chariots. Things are falling apart right here and breaking down. And uh, it says he troubled the host of the Egyptians. That that they drave them heavily, so that the Egyptians said, Let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fight us for them against the Egyptians. They knew this was God coming against them. And the Lord said unto Moses, now they're safely on the other side by this time. They're safe up on some cliff or on the other shore looking back. Stretch out thine hand over the sea that the waters may come again upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. And Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea and the sea returned to his strength. When the morning appeared and the Egyptians fled against it and the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. And the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the host of Pharaoh that came unto the sea after them. There remained not so much as one of them. But the children of Israel walked upon dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left, 
Thus the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians' dead body dead upon the seashore, and Israel saw that great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians, and the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and His servant Moses. So God used it at this moment to... Evidently, it was not a lasting faith in them. But they couldn't deny what God had just done for them. But we, we see this, y'all, that... Um, that they weren't led to this place where they were sort of trapped, okay? Remember this. We talked about a few weeks ago that it was not a mistake. It wasn't, a, a, oh, we got lost. We, we got the GPS mixed up. We shouldn't be here. They, they were led there. It was the pillar and the presence of God, the angel of the Lord, that led them there. And I want to just make a couple of points tonight for our, ourselves. So this is more than just a history class. It is the Word of God and how it can relate to us. God leads us sometimes into situations where never in a million lifetimes would we choose to be or choose to go. Now there are times we end up in some place because of sin. I'm not talking about those times. That's a sermon for another day. For my own foolishness, my own rebellion, my own hardness of heart, even as a believer, to obey God because I just wanted to do this and I did it anyway. And guess what? It turned out just like God said it would be and it was horrible and it was miserable. Okay? He can forgive me and get me out of there. But there are times in life where we are seeking God and with the sincere heart, as sincere as we can be and as honest as we can be before the Lord, we're not wanting to presume anything. We're wanting to be led by God and we're walking and living through this life and we find ourselves in the most horrible predicament. And we don't know how to get out. We really don't know. I can't go left. I can't go right. If I do this, this bad thing's going to happen. But if I don't do this, this is going to happen. And I'm really in a bind. You ever been in a bind before? You ever been between a rock and a hard place, as they say? Which way do you go? The rock or the hard place? I'm, I'm, I'm caught here. There's not a good option. And sometimes Almighty God, our God, the Good Shepherd, leads us there. Now, why would He do such a thing? Why would God ever do that to His beloved, to, to those He loves and sent His Son Jesus to die for? He does it because He is going to part the Red Sea. He does it because He wants us to sing the song of victory on the other side. He does it because He wants to show that He is God. And if we'll trust Him, He's going to bring us through everything and anything. And there's nothing that could come against us that our God cannot deliver us out of. I could say amen and close right here. And maybe I will pretty quickly. But do you understand the point of that? I know that you know that. I'm not standing up here telling you something like, oh, I never thought of that. I believe you know that. But we need to be reminded of these things. God Himself will sometimes lead us into situations and we're desperate and no man can help us. And He doesn't want us to turn to men. And every option that we look at is a no-go. This is not going to work. This won't work. This won't work. And this won't work. I have no option. God, if You don't rescue me, I'm done. It has to be You. It has to be You in some way that 
doesn't even enter into my mind. The Bible says in Ephesians, now unto Him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. It's the power of Christ in His people. It's according to that power. Uh, what, what is it? He can do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. I don't even presume, presume to, uh, to think of these tremendous things. God just can do them. I, if I was standing there, I would not have thought of, oh, the sea's going to part. It's going to be dry. We'll be okay and they're going to be drowned. I wouldn't have thought it. I thought maybe he'll hit them with a pestilence. Maybe a lightning bolt will strike them all dead. He could, Lord could have done any of those things. But he makes a way where there seems to be no way. And that's a perfect picture of a way. The way was through the sea. It wasn't around it. It was right through the middle of it. And, and they were delivered. And God brought them through. And I just thank God this is still the God that we serve. You know this story is recounted all through the Bible. If you were just reading the Bible like a book from Genesis to Revelation, you ought to note how many times that, that is referred to. In Psalm, uh, in Psalm 106, the whole chapter is about Israel's you know, journey. Okay, Psalm 78, Psalm 77, 2 Samuel, Isaiah. It comes up over and over again because it's like a poster child almost of the faithfulness of God, of the power of God to deliver. It's the same for someone who's at rock bottom in sin and they have no way out. And they can't go left or right, but God can lift them up, okay, by the blood of Jesus. And, and I just thank the Lord for it. We ought not get tired of talking about it or tired of hearing about uh, these, these stories and these accounts. It was through one man, though. So let's remember, it was through one man's faith, basically, that this was done. The Bible says that, uh, and I'm just going to give some little partial parts of different scriptures. The Bible talks about this in subsequent places. Thou us, the psalmist says, Thou us thy people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. You led your people like a flock. I think of a flock of sheep. Okay? By the hand of Moses and Aaron. The Bible says in Isaiah, He caused His glorious arm to go at the right hand of Moses. God caused His glorious right arm, His glorious arm, to go at the right hand of Moses. This is why Moses said later, and we'll do a whole lesson on this, if your presence doesn't go with me, Lord, I don't want to go. Because Moses knew that in himself, he was nothing but an 80-year-old man. Okay? It had to be the Lord. We have faith to believe and to trust the Lord. And God led them. And so think about this. Remember, he was a shepherd for the last 40 years leading up to this. He was 40-year-old to 80-year-old. He's a shepherd. And just that simple shepherd's staff in his hand, God turned it into something. Remember, we've talked about it. What is it called after God called him at the burning bush? And he says, throw it on the ground, and it turns into a serpent. Pick it up by the tail, it turns back into the rock. And touch the waters that they become blood. It became the rod of God. It's just a shepherd's staff. It's nothing. There's a purpose in that. That God can take the most simple nothing. Nothing. I'm a simple nothing. You know, we're just nothings other than uh, the Holy Ghost. Our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. 
Uh, Paul says, in, in my flesh there dwells no good thing. It's only the Lord. And so, but he takes the, this shepherd's staff. There were thousands of them that people had in that part of the world. But this one is now the rod of God. It's something when, when, we, would put, when we put ourselves and all that we have into God's hands. He left all the riches and wealth early in life, remember, that would have been his in, as, as a, uh, you know, coming into Pharaoh's house. He left all that, and now he's got a robe probably and, and a shepherd's staff. But it's the rod of God. Now that's red Caesar being parted and water's gushing out of rocks and things like this. And he holds it up, the Amalekites are defeated. We'll read all that later. But it, it just really shows us something. You say, well, I, I don't speak very well. Well, Moses, that's what he said to God, right? I don't do this very well. Pharaoh's not going to listen to me when I talk to him. None of that matters if we'll just put ourselves at God's disposal. Put yourself at His disposal. Put yourself in the place of saying, use me up as you will. I don't have any strings attached. Just take my life. It's yours. If you want me to spend the rest of it right here in Baton Rouge, you know, right here in this little area, if you want to send me to India, Africa, whatever it is you desire to do for, with my life, here it is. And that's a question of our will, right? That's a breaking so to speak, or a surrender of our will to the will of God. And Moses came to that place. Doesn't mean he was perfect. Doesn't mean he never sinned again. But he was surrendered to the Lord. And God can still today do amazing things through people today that are surrendered to Him. I forgot who it was. Some of y'all might remember. I've even used the quote before. Some man of God says, the world has yet to see what the Lord can do through one man that's fully surrendered to Him. We know Jesus was. And look what happened through Christ. I know He was Christ, but still, fully surrendered to the will of the Father. The world has yet to see what the Lord can do through one life that's fully surrendered to Him. I sure would wish and pray that we could be that people or that I could be that person. There's no, no, nothing in Scripture says we can't be. Nothing saying, oh, to think a thought like that's prideful. Uh, you shouldn't think that. I think we should surrender to the Lord. Take up our cross, deny ourselves, and follow the Lord. And allow Him to do what He wants to do. And so, uh, anyway, so we, we see the Israelites coming through. Y'all, there, there's a lot of descriptions in other places in the Bibles that, that talk in the Bible that talks about how uh, the water stood like a heap and... and uh, just different descriptions about it that even the Lord sent hail and, and a storm to kind of discomfit the, the children of, I mean, the, the Egyptians when they were wanting to go. Big hail came down. There was a lot more to it than even what we just read right there. But, but God was saying all the time, Moses, why are you standing here crying to me? There's a time to pray and there's a time to move. We looked at in Josh, uh, Joshua's life when Achan sinned, right? Why are you sitting here moaning to me? Uh, that there's sin in the camp, go deal with it. All right? And so here, he had already turned to God, and God says, you tell the children of Israel to go forward. You tell them to press on. And the sea parted, and they were able to go forward. And so, um, we, we should never fear, have any kind of fear, no matter how fearful it looks around us, to obey the Lord. To go forward. 
And whatever situation He puts us in, He's going to be faithful to deliver us out of it. However strong the enemy is, He's going to deliver us out of it. However harsh the circumstances are, if He says move forward, if He says you know, whatever it may be. I think about David, for example. We know all know the story of David and Goliath. Again, lost people know the story. You know, football team is number one in the country playing some little you know, junior college over here. And they say it's a true David and Goliath. No, it's not. It's two football teams. They're human beings. They're out there. They both got 11 on each side. And they have the same football. It might be a mismatch as far as the talent or whatever and the size, but it's not a David and Goliath. True David and Goliath was David and Goliath. Okay? This giant that's 12 or 13 feet tall and his spear was like a weaver's beam. He had another guy going before him carrying the shield for him and had fully armored and was a, a warrior from his youth and he was the champion. And here's David who had never fought anybody, but he fought a lion and a bear and killed him because God was with him. And he had no armor on and he had no sword in his hand and no shield and nothing to protect him. And a slingshot, a sling and it's five stones. But what does it say about David? He ran out to meet Goliath. That's just amazing. He was like, oh, OK, God, here I go. He sure is big. You know, it was like he, he called the thing. He said, God's going to give you into my hands today. You come here, I'm going to show you a thing or two. Because you have defied, not me, you've defied the God of Israel and the one true living God. You've blasphemed Him. And He's not going to take this sitting down. And I'm coming after you in the name of the Lord. The battle is not mine. The battle is the Lord. Don't you see that as a theme? You won't need to fight these Egyptians. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Verse 13, which He will show you this day. It says the Lord is going to fight for us. Jehoshaphat in his day, Midianites, a million man army, it's, it's, it says, uh, the Midianites and I think the Ethiopians had come against them and the people were afraid. And the Lord spoke to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and he says, you'll not need to fight in this battle. This battle is the Lord's. You're not going to need to fight. And they didn't. And they went out praising God before they got to the battle and God killed them all in Jehoshaphat's day. That's repeated over and over. What's the point? We don't have to live in fear that if God be for us, who can be against us? The Bible says God was with David. Goliath is bigger than David, but Goliath is not no match for God Almighty. Not even close. They don't compare. And so, when the Lord leads us into circumstances like this, he is absolutely going to bring us out. And the Bible says when they got to the other side, that, and it's the next chapter really, in chapter 15, that they sang the song of Moses. Moses sang the song unto the Lord. You remember two weeks ago in our study in Revelation, in chapter 15, these martyrs of God, these saints of God, isn't it amazing how it all ties together? Stuff that hasn't happened yet. Another end times, the tribulation, and these tribulation saints and martyrs, they sung two songs in the presence of God after they had been martyred and, and gone through such horrible things in this life and probably tribulation martyrs and saints. They're before the Lord and it says they sung, sung the song of Moses and they sung the song of the Lamb. It's, it's glory to God. 
for what he brought us through. Both are songs of redemption. Both are songs of deliverance, right? Both are, look what the Lord has done. Look what he brought us out of. Look what he did for us. Look at, who but God could have done what God just did for us. And everything in the song, and we're not really going to study the song, because again, it's a study in the life of Moses, but everything was ascribed to the Lord. The whole, in chapter 15, read it when tonight or, or tomorrow when you wake up, read the song of Moses in Exodus 15. The song was sung to him, and it was sung about him. It was he that had triumphed gloriously. It was he that had cast horse and rider into the sea. It was he that blew with his wind. It was his excellency, his greatness. All the honors of the victory were laid at his feet. Just like when you and I receive uh, uh, rewards that the Bible talks about and crowns at the judgment seat of Christ for living for God and our service to the Lord, and we're going to cast those at the feet of Jesus. You look at the elders, the 24 elders in Revelation, and when they, they worship the Lamb and they cast their crowns at the feet of the Lord, saying, Thou art worthy. Thou art worthy. This song was a song unto the Lord. It talked about God. These were names given to God. God, my strength and my song and my salvation. God, glorious in holiness. God, fearful in praises. God, doing wonders. God is a man of war. It says, Sing ye to the Lord, for He hath triumphed gloriously. Everything was about the Lord. Not one word was mentioned about who. In the song of Moses, not one song was mentioned about Moses. You know who was okay with that? Moses. In the song of Moses, not one word was mentioned of Moses. And Moses was fine with that. Because he just looking at one so much greater than himself. His eyes are on the Lord. God's using him. But he's not thinking of himself. He's thinking about this great holy, mighty God. And he can't think of enough words to praise Him. That's where the Lord wants us to be, y'all. And I want to close with this thought. And and something to me, just personally, it may not affect you maybe the way it does to me. But when he says in in, um, 14 and 15, no, verse 13, Moses said, Fear ye not, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord which He will show you today. First of all, there was getting ready to be a miracle right now. You're going to see this miracle today. Okay? A lot of things we're waiting for that are way off. Maybe the second coming of the Lord or something like that. But this was going to be a miracle of deliverance and salvation today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you shall see them again no more forever. And I just, what did that mean to them? It's not just words. What would that mean to you and to me? These Egyptians, what were the Egyptians to them? They would have been the darkest, most dreadful enemy that they could think of. The Egyptians had put them to this horrible bondage and had their way with them. You know, being a slave under someone cruel like that is really horrible, okay? And that would have been the worst of the worst. And so for, for God to say, I'm going to fight for you, when Moses says the Lord's going to fight for you, and these Egyptians who you see today, they saw them. They saw their chariots. They saw their mighty men of war. They've been trained in war. They saw their power and might. They saw them. 
You were afraid of them. But these Egyptians that you see today, you will see them no more forever. And in one moment, one day really, they pass through on dry ground. The sea closes up and they're drowned and they literally watch their dead bodies floating and washing up on the shore. To have your cruelest enemy vanquished, your cruelest enemy, not wounded and kind of sent away to come back another day, but to really have them gone, there had to be such a feeling of freedom, like of, of liberty, real liberty, not just even coming out of Egypt because like we saw here, the Egyptians could chase them down one day, but they're gone. All that pride and power and might and all the people and the, all their enemies that had held them captive were gone. And I think how the Lord does that with, with sin in our lives. That the things that held us bound, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. If the Son therefore had made you free, you shall be free indeed. He has broken the bondage of the chains of slavery, of sin. Things that you're afraid of. I'll keep committing that same sin. I'll keep, I'll never get free of that sin. And the Lord breaks the bondage and He takes it away. Doesn't mean we could never possibly sin again. It means He breaks that authority and power. And, And the victory in Christ is a complete victory. It's not a partial victory. Now our maturity, we got a long way to go, right? Our sanctification, becoming like Christ, bearing much fruit, uh, growing in the Lord, learning to trust God. But the victory, when Jesus said on the cross, it's finished. He didn't say it was partially finished, but there's still some sins I'm going to have to deal with that I haven't even touched yet. Uh, he, he says it's finished. And I, I just thank the Lord for that. Somehow in my mind, I, I guess I can think of it more than I can express it. Uh, that, that there's such a, a victory God turns our worst fears into occasions of rejoicing. He turns our mourning into dancing. There are one sec- second, w- wish we were back in Egypt, we'll just die there to singing the song of Moses the next day, right? Shaking their tambourines and they're singing. How quickly that happened. The Lord did that. And uh, He can do it. And I'll say to you, and I'll close with this, long years of waiting, I'm reading a quote from F.B. Meyer, long years of waiting, and preparation and obedience shall be rewarded at last as certainly as God is God. Amen? Long years of waiting and patience are going to be rewarded as certainly as God is God. Would y'all turn with me to Isaiah 26, 13 and 14. Dee's going to start playing. The altars are open. I want to close with this Scripture. Isaiah 26, 13 and 14. O Lord our God, other lords besides Thee have had dominion over us. But by Thee only we make mention of Thy name. They are dead. They shall not live. They are deceased. They shall not rise. Therefore hast Thou visited and destroyed them and made all their memory to perish. That is a good God. Not that we wish any evil on anybody, but the enemies that we have if we're serving God, are also God's enemies. And He will deal with them. 
if they don't repent and come to Christ and, and get their lives right with the Lord. And, and He put them away. He put those enemies away. Tonight we're just referring to, to sin. There's other enemies that come against our lives as well. Don't want us to prosper. They don't want us to do well in the Lord. And God is going to deal with that. We just got to keep our eyes on Him. Amen? So Father, we come before You in the name of Jesus, Lord. And God, I thank You that this is not a fairy tale. This is not a pep talk. This, is, this was real people and a real man of God, Moses, who allowed You to take His life and do with it as You would. You took a, she- you took a shepherd's staff in His hand and made it the rod of God. You really did deliver a whole nation of slaves in a moment. Not only out of Egypt, but then across through the, through the Red Sea, you made a way where there was no way. That really happened. And their enemies were destroyed and they didn't see Him anymore forever. They didn't have to look over their shoulder and wonder if they're going to sneak up on me again. And God, same for sin in our, our lives, God. We still wrestle with sin, Lord. But it's not because You didn't win the victory. God, we thank You and we praise You. Thank You that sometimes You'll lead us into a what looks like a horrible place. God, help us not to be like the Israelites and murmur. When You lead us into a place like that, would You help our first response and only response, let it be to cry out to Almighty God, deliver me. You can deliver me. I trust You to deliver me. God, I don't see the way, but I see You. And You can make the way. Make the way for me. Make the way for my family. Make the way for us. Make the way for our church. Make the way for our country. Make a way, God. Let that be our first and only response. And it makes You smile. And You're glad to, to deliver Your people. You're glad to show Yourself mighty. Um, in behalf of them that fear You and trust You. You're not a respecter of persons. You did it for Moses. You do it for us. We praise You and we thank You, God. Strengthen our faith in You, God. In Jesus' name.